Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We're going to talk about the Super Bowl instead with our next guest. He is VP researcher and author for Sports Information Solutions. Our buddy Matt Manicharian jumps aboard here on CBS Sports Radio. Hey, man, Matty. Hey, I'm doing good. Thank you for having me back. Oh, no, thank you for coming back and uh, looking forward to having you on when we get closer to the draft because your draft analysis, as per the numbers, is always enlightening. But I know you do so all year for uh, Sports Info Solutions, and you're doing so now leading up to the Super Bowl. Your first foray in the numbers. I know you've been following the teams and leading uh, up to the, the Super Bowl with the playoff matchups and the like, and then we know what two teams are in after they win their championship games. What is your first original uh, thought after you've gone through the numbers on the Bengals and the Rams? Does one of the two teams stand out to you? Yeah, you know, I, I'm shocked that the Bengals have made it this far, to be quite honest. I know I'm not saying anything that kind of your typical eye test wouldn't say, but all of the advanced analytics that we have really match the eye test in that the Bengals have no business being in this game. But, uh, you know, they've managed to get hot at the right time of the year, managed to win some critical games, uh, you know, some late uh, overtime games, and uh, here they are. So if we're handicapping it, we would have to say that um, the Rams seem like the more likely team. They seem like the team that belongs to be here to begin with. But, you know, it's a one game. It's on any given Sunday. That's, that's what the Super Bowl is. Right, and I know you're a slave to the numbers, and a lot of times that pays off you. But sometimes you have to factor in just some emotion here. And that's what I see with the Bengals. That's why I'm giving the Bengals a chance to win this game because they just seem to be a team that has lifted their play because of emotion, because of the underdog status they have. How can you or can you even factor that in when you're crunching your numbers on what they've achieved over the year and what you expect them to be able to put up as far as numbers go in the Super Bowl? Yeah, I mean – you know, I, I, uh, I like to look at the numbers, and I also like to consider that against sort of reality. You know, my background is a scout, so I'm always trying to bring things back to the field and what, and what really matters there. And I think that's a little bit of what separates Sports Info Solutions in, in the way that we sort of look at things uh, as far as that goes. Um, you know, the, the numbers aren't going to incorporate somebody that's uh, feeling more emotionally ready. You know, we do have some analytics that go towards things like – when you draft somebody with a specific kind of character profile, how does that apply in terms of their ability to become a, a good NFL player, things like that. But on a one-game sample, you know, it's very difficult. Even home field advantage, you know, for a while it felt like 
Seattle had a better home field advantage than everybody else, and that when you went and played with the 12s, that that was just going to be a problem. But really, when we look at the numbers and we try to actually suss out things like emotions and home field advantage and things like that, you used to be able to put a number on home field advantage. Now uh, it's a sort of thing where it's pretty much been a toss-up for about three years now. And even before that, like when I was talking about with the Seahawks, they had a good home field advantage because they were a good team. Um, and really, it wasn't anything that went beyond that, right? Like the Lambeau Field's not a tough place to play when the Packers stink. It's just the Packers have had Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, and it's been they've been a good team a lot of the time. So I think a lot of times when you look at home field advantage, look no farther than how good the home team is. Here's where here's where I'll agree with you. It's sort of an agreement disagreement. Um, I do believe the level of noise in a building and the excitement and the uh, energy that you can build up can absolutely help to help a football team. But it's kind of which comes first, the chicken or the egg. If the right. team is good and they're making plays and that lifts the crowd, then the crowd in turn lifts the players. But if the players aren't good and they're always falling behind and the crowd just starts sitting on its hands, doesn't matter how big their reputation is, it is an home field advantage because the crowd just doesn't 100%. get into it. Uh, 100%. So it's, the old, it's the classic, it's the classic uh, momentum, which is everybody can tell you what momentum feels like when they're in the moment. Nobody can ever tell you what momentum is going to be five minutes from now because <laughs> then that's kind of the nature of momentum is that we can't predict it. Agree wholeheartedly. Matt Manicharian, our guest here on CBS Sports Radio. All right, what categories do the Bengals' numbers come up short for you? So the Bengals really struggle. You know, we talk about offensively, first of all. Obviously, they've got a really good young quarterback. I Personally, I you know, I make Bengals fans mad. I'd probably still put Justin Herbert ahead of him in terms of second-year quarterback. But that's about how good Herbert has been. That's no slight to Burrow playing in his Super Bowl in his second te- season, elevating the team. The receiver group is outstanding when you look at Jamar Chase, T. Higgins. The part of their team that you look at and you worry about is their offensive line. This yep. is a team that not only isn't a great blocking team, they don't even really try to block. And, uh, you know, so uh, when you look at this game and you think, oh, my gosh, this team that just has no offensive line, how are they going to block Aaron Donald, let alone all the other horses that, that the Rams have up front? But I think what the Bengals' strategy has been is we're really not going to try to block you. We're going to try to get all the receivers into routes and get the ball into their hands and beat you on the perimeter so that you don't even have a chance to get home. And they trust Burrow a lot. Burrow's very comfortable with just five-minute protection, which gives him five receivers to all get out into routes. And he's tough. He extends plays. And it's been working for him. So when I look at this game, I don't actually, you know, it's an easy thing to say, wow, that matchup between uh, the Bengals' interior offensive line and Aaron Donald, how are they going to block him? I don't think they will. And honestly, I don't really think they're, they're necessarily going to try. Uh, you know, I think they'll try to balance the run game. That's one place that I think the Bengals can do well. They can run the ball better than the Rams can run the ball. And so if you have two teams that play defensively the way that these two teams do, where they basically beg you to run against them, right? They're both trying to play back, protect the deep ball, and make you get kind of bored with your offense. We saw the Bengals do that so well against Patrick Mahomes in the AFC Championship, force him to get bored, force him to get tired of taking the checkdowns and the running plays, and all of a sudden he's hanging on to the ball for 10 seconds, and then their pass rushes are getting home. That's how they want to play, and so if you're going to play like that, and the Rams are going to play like that too, remember this is the same coaching tree, then a lot of the way you can get against that is by running the ball. So I think the Bengals might try to run the ball a little bit. That, I think, would be their kind of route to success there. I think that, that the Rams are going to have a harder time doing that without Robert Woods as it's been for the whole season. 
And so they kind of have to go to their strength, even though uh, the Bengals are going to be kind of just uh, playing, playing possum with them a little bit. If it comes down to that, and in the NFL today, it's hard to believe that that is the case, although I watched every single Eagle game this year, and they actually made the playoffs by determining they needed to run the football, and it did get them above 500. It helped them make the playoffs. didn't help them against Tampa Bay in the wild card game, but you get my point. Uh, it's a passing right. league. It has been a passing league, continues to drift even more into the passing league uh, domination year in and year out. If I tell you the team that runs the ball better this upcoming Sunday is going to win the game, whose rushing attack do you like better, Rams or Bengals? I mean, it's the Bengals. The Bengals, um, with their uh, their rushing attack, even though they're not as good a blocking team, when you talk about just Joe Mixon and what they can do up there, he's just a different beast than anybody that the Rams have. Cam Akers has had some nice moments. Uh, there's been some talk that, that uh, I think Henderson could be back for, for this game, but you know, I, I would hold my breath as far as that goes. But um, the, the Bengals scare you more as a running game. There's, there's no doubt about it. Um, that said, I want, to be, I want to be careful here. It is a passing league. And the reason why I'm saying that that could be important is not because I think running is all of a sudden going to become the story of this game. I think that both of these defenses, both Sean McVay, the way that he runs things, and Zach Taylor, the way that he runs things, they understand that their strategy is to defend the pass first because passing is more important than running. And because of that, they leave themselves a little bit open to some running sometimes, right? Like mm-hmm. we see in the Packers when they go against the 49ers, they always seem to struggle defending the run because they're kind of built that way too, right? They're in that same coaching tree. So it's not that I think that, that running is all of a sudden more important, but balance, this is football, and balance can never be something that, that you, you let go. These, there's an impact on the passing game, on the running game, on the running game, on the passing game. And the way I think when you have two teams that are playing the way they do – I think the answer that the Bengals have that might work for them would be going back to the running game just to get five yards, six yards. And then all of a sudden you get the Rams out of what they want to do defensively. You get them out of their quarters coverages. You get them out of their two high safeties. They start bringing somebody down and now take your shot to Jamar Chase. And and really I think that um, the running game is as important a piece as any in terms of getting Jamar Chase those individual one-on-one matchups getting T. Higgins, those individual one-on-one matchups. Um, it's not if, – if the Rams can stay back in their quarters, I don't think those opportunities will be there as often. All right. I'm sure this is in your sports info solutions database, files, whatever. I uh, don't know if you've run by it yet, but if you have, please share the results. How many times, if you want to go just this year, if you want to go last two, three years, whatever you know off the top of your head, has a quarterback been sacked nine times – and his team has won the football game. It happened just a couple of weeks ago with the Cincinnati Bengals when the Titans got him nine times, yet Cincinnati found a way to win the game. My guess is 19 out of 20, maybe 39 out of 40, 5%, 2%, somewhere thereabouts. Do you know off the top of your head how infrequently that happens? Off the top of my head, I don't know. I'd have to rev up the database that I, do. <laughs> I don't have. I don't have my my sequel open on a Sunday night here. Gotcha. Don't, but, don't um, worry. Your your inclination is right. It's, it's going to be like a ninety plus percent type of thing that you lose when you give up nine sacks. Um, it's it's just like turnovers, sacks. These are the sort of statistical measures where if you get crushed in any of them, you're going to lose a ton of football games. In one sense, it's like I I still can't believe they managed to win that game. In another sense, we got to remember that they were playing against Ryan Tannehill, and he was even more giving with the football 
than, than Joe Burrow was, right, whereas he gave up nine sacks. I think Tannehill had three interceptions in that one. So, uh, you know, when one, you know, it's uh, pick your poison, six of one, half a dozen of the other. But, uh, I, you know, I think that going against the Rams' offense, it's not going to be a sort of situation where Joe Burrow could take nine sacks in this one and have the same result. That would be – that would really be something. One more Super Bowl question, and I want to throw you an NFL draft question because I know that's another one of your Ballywicks as well. Um, Cooper Cup just continues to do it week after week after week. If you didn't watch his entire season and know he had one of the more prolific receiving seasons in years in the National Football League, shame on you. Certainly all of his opposition in the playoffs knew that that was the case, yet he continues to just put up numbers and make big plays and uh, is he just that good? Are teams not giving him enough respect for what he can do? Uh, he has the season he has, and he's a legit MVP candidate. I don't think he'll get it because they always give it to a quarterback, but he's a legit candidate. And now he's doing the same exact thing, if not more so, in the playoffs. How has that happened, and what can the Cincinnati Bengals do to be better at it than the three uh, Ram losses uh, that lost to the Rams along the way? I mean, he's absolutely ridiculous, and I don't need to tell you the stats, right? Like, you look at it, he had 86 EPA on receptions. The next next best person had, like, 59 in terms of receivers. In terms of the SIS, his total points metric, he was at 54. Next best person was at 46. So, he, he was, you know, his stats are his stats, and, and we, everybody can see that. When you turn on the film, I think you're on to something when you say, is there something sort of that people are missing that they disrespect him? I think at this point everybody understands how good he is and that it's a horrible idea to disrespect him. But there's still uh, something about his route-running ability where um, I think teams aren't as likely as they are with a true burner, like a Tyreek Hill type, somebody like that, to bring somebody over the top to cover him, right? Because they're not so concerned that he's going to burn you deep. Usually he's going to burn you with kind of a million small cuts, and then he's going to beat you with the yards after the catch. He's going to break a tackle and be gone for 60 yards after the catch, whatever it is. That's kind of his his way of getting it done. The thing that I think that leaves you open to, though, when you don't bring that help over the top on Cooper Cup and you say, okay, he's not that explosive, we don't need to worry about it, is it's that much easier for him to work those underneath routes when whoever's defending him doesn't have the luxury of being able to know that they don't have to worry about defending that deep stuff. So this is the receiver that has the ability to line up outside. He does a ton of damage in the slot, and he's a big problem in there because you give him a two-way go, and all of a sudden uh, it's dangerous. Anytime he's playing against his own defense, he's getting linebacker-type matchups against him on the inside there, which is just not fair. And this is a big, strong dude who can run better than people give him credit for. So when he's lined up outside, you know, he brings a lot to the table that I think is, that is underrated as well. Um, there's, there's a lot to say about Cooper Cup. When you look at him physically, he's not going to impress you like a Debo Samuel, like even a Jamar Chase. But um, I think that the proof is in his output, and the reason why he gets that output is just because of outstanding route running ability. Just There aren't people like him that can make every route look the exact same way, and he can manipulate his stems and breaks to, to free himself up. He's, he's really special to watch. If you get the moment, you know, it's hard on the TV film, but when you get the moment, if you get to see him actually run any of his routes and just see him do his work out there, you can really get a sense of just how difficult it would be to stay in front of this guy. Matt, I have in my hand my SIS football rookie handbook. 
2021. That was last year's comprehensive scouting guide and analytic guide uh, leading up to the NFL draft. I'm looking forward to getting my 2022 one from you uh, down the road a little bit. This past week was the uh, last couple weeks all-star game facet of evaluating players coming from the collegiate level into the NFL. Combine yet to go. We know individual workouts and the like. Um, You do a great job of marrying uh, scouting reports with statistical analysis from all their uh, accomplishments on the field, the number they compiled during their collegiate season. How do you do that? Do you do it as you go? Do you wait till all the numbers are in and then start the scouting aspect? Scouting as you go and add the numbers. How, how does the overall process work from you? Is it a hand-in-hand as you go throughout the season? Or is it I get one done, then I go to the other? How do you work to get your uh, combination efforts on every single player into the book? Yeah, so we have a, we have a huge operation that goes on at SIS where we have over 60 people contributing to our scouting operation every year. And so what that means is as the season goes on, we're charting all these games. We're collecting data and information on how many times everybody ran a curl around, how often somebody ran cover two, um, what somebody was like in terms of how their ability to break tackles, uh, everything that you can really think of, how quickly defensive linemen are creating pressures. Uh, we, we do a frame timer system for that. So we have all kinds of both manually collected data and automated data that we're running throughout the whole season. We're providing that information to NFL and college teams as we're going uh, throughout the year. And the other thing that we're doing concurrently with that is we're doing our scouting operation. And our scouting operation is exactly like an NFL teams would be. We spend the summertime making sure that we get all on the same page, that we're grading the same traits, the same metrics, the same attributes. And as the season goes on, our guys, John Todd and Nathan Cooper, they run our scouting department. They'll send out all of the different report assignments. I'll have people that are assigned to me, just like every scout in the organization will have, will have different players assigned to them. And through the process of having different players assigned, different scouting reports written, cross-checks on those same players, and then finally over-the-top reports that will happen from Coop and from John Todd and from me, where we make sure that we kind of stack our rankings, we're right at that part of the year now where we've got all the games played, we have all of our information on the players uh, collected, we've gotten most of our first reports at least written on each player, we're cross-checking, we're doing over-the-top reports right now, we're figuring out our stack, that'll be the bulk of February, is figuring out that stack at each position, and then I've got some really good news for you. The SIS Football Rookie Handbook will not be a paid book this year, it will not be... 700 pages that you have to get shipped. Oh, you sending me a PDF. Is that what you're telling me? I got to turn on the computer to look at it. I love this book. Not only is it a great doorstop, but I'm like an old man. I like a newspaper in my hand. I like a book in my hand, even though it's not hardcover. It's perfectly fine to me. I want the printed copy. I feel you, but it's going to be a website. And what that's going to allow you to do is as you're reading about Kayvon Thibodeau and you're interested in this, in this pass rusher and how he compares to other pass rushers, you'll be able to click on where he stands in the leaderboard, see the whole pass rush leaderboard, take that right to be able to see the comparable mm. players to him. You'll be able to navigate right back there to the next thing. So instead of having to flip around and go back and forth, it'll all be a fingertip away. It'll all be right there. And the best part, Jody, it's all going to be free. And, oh, that, uh, that's a good as, thing. As, you know, I got 
I got no complaints about that, but I'm pretty good at flipping pages. I'm not as good with my mouse, but I'll learn. I'll, I'll get it down. I'll print it out for you. I'll print I, it out for you. <laughs> I would not ask you to do that, but that's good to know. I'm very excited about it. One last question um, before we let you go. And again, thanks for your time. I had Rick Saratel on earlier. I know you know him, NFL Draft Bible. He, please said, he said, please send my regards because he saw my tweet mentioning both you and he were going to be on the show together today. Um, I asked him a specific question that I'll turn around and ask you in a similar way but different. Put your scouting cap on. Put your analytic cap to the side and just use your scouting cap here. Is there an aspect of a player on the collegiate level, any position, that you have a tough time evaluating because – the position changes when it gets to the NFL. It, the, the requirements, the skills aren't exactly the same because the game is played a little bit different. So you can't compare apples to apples. you got to kind of look at apples and oranges and make a leap of faith. Is there such a position, such a skill, such an aspect to a game that's difficult because it's either prevalent in the college game and not so much in the NFL or not so much in the collegiate level and very prevalent in the NFL? Is there such an animal uh, in attempting to do your scouting? Are you evaluating players from college to pros? Yeah, 100%. I mean, one thing that jumps right off the bat is uh, defensive back, a corner that can play press coverage. There you Usually go. There's, there's just a handful of defensive players in, in college football that play press coverage to begin with. So you, you just don't see it a lot of the time. That's totally a projection for a lot of players. Same way you see quarterbacks that never play under center. I mean, quarterbacks can actually be the hardest ones in a lot of ways when it comes to scheme stuff because some of these guys are just running bubble screens and go routes and they're running the ball. They're not doing anything that's really similar to what's going to be asked of them on the NFL level. So that's kind of like the biggest bugaboo for me. But, yeah, I mean, anything where it's schematically something that they're not doing that you're trying to figure out how they're going to be in terms of doing that in your scheme, that's, that's a pain in the butt. Yeah, see, I asked Ricky about – I had it slightly different, but I'm glad you went to coverage. The NFL has become such a legislated league. I don't know how you play defensive back in the NFL. With the amount of flags that they throw for pass interference, any little touch, any little bump, it seems like the receivers can get separation with their arms, but God forbid a defensive back ever touches another receiver's arm on a play, it's automatically a flag. I would think that'd be so tough to judge on the collegiate level and then know they have to be able to do it in the NFL without having the flag come out on every single play. I would think that'd be very difficult for a scout to do. That's such a great call. You know when you see a receiver in college football make a catch on the sideline and keep one foot inbound, and you kind of think, oh, well, that's, that's you know, but that wouldn't count in the NFL. And you're like, well, they didn't have to have two feet. You didn't have to. Same thing, because you'll right. see guys that are really handy in coverage, and you just say, like, well, they can't do that in the NFL. Well, the rules are different, so they're just playing the rules that are given to them right there. You're right. It's a hard thing when you don't actually see them doing the skill that you're trying to project. Matt, I look forward to having you on when we get closer to the drafts. I look forward to uh, you sending me off a PDF that's going to take up all this space on my computer. But it's great stuff, so I will certainly delve into all of it. Thank you much for coming on with us tonight. All right. Thanks a lot. Talk to you later. Matt Manicharian, uh, editor for uh, Info Solutions, SIS, Sports Information Solutions. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, 
celebrity interviews, or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.